Welcome back to Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're going to talk some Ted Bundy. Oh, <sighs> extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Well, now that I know where that came from, I understand why I feel like it's missing something, but this is still the right title for this movie. Yes. We'll get there. But yes. Yes. And I will say, however, Google is very on top of this because if you search any of those words, no matter how you, you know, sequence them and then put Netflix movie, it will find it. (laughs) Yes, it will. Because I can't ever remember that title (laughs) to save my life. Yeah. It's a little long and cumbersome, but yeah. It is, but it is appropriate. Yes. So it's a Netflix original. It was picked up at Sundance. So it was actually already made and then they did it. They premiered it at Sundance and Netflix picked it up from there and it was released May 3rd of 2019. The director was Joe Berlinger and he also directed the Netflix short documentary series Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes. And he's done lots of other crime documentaries. Yeah. May I take this moment to apologize to my husband? Oh. Because, see, he was trying to tell me when I was watching this film. Uh-huh. He was trying to tell me about, hey, look, they got that exactly right. Because that was exactly what was in the Ted Bundy tapes. And I was like, what was that? Did I see that? Couldn't remember to save my life. I was just really focused and kind of tired. And I couldn't put two and two together. And, you know, well, being a co-host of Killer Fun, you know this is not the first thing I've watched on Ted Bundy. <laughs> and it won't be the last. But... I could not remember. And he just thought I was crazy. Like, you don't remember. We watched this together. It's no, I do director. not remember. It was a same director, same net. <laughs> I remember now. And uh-huh. I offer my sincere apologies oh, for my complete stubbornness. Oh, okay. Because now it all flooded yeah. back. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you just need that little trigger yeah. to get you back there. Yeah, I was really in the moment with this movie at the time. So, yeah. you know, I'll blame it on that. No, it's my fault. But, you know. <laughs> We have Lily Collins played Liz Kendall, also known as Elizabeth Klopfer. So she goes by Liz Kendall in the movie. That's the name she wrote the book that the movie is based on under. Um, it's now out of print. It's difficult to get a copy. Really? Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. She I didn't know it was difficult to get a copy. Yeah, I believe so. We'll get, we'll get to that. Ooh, I'm excited about that one. Yeah. I was trying to figure out where I knew Lily Collins from. She was in the reboot of 90210. Yeah. Which I watched all of. Me too. <laughs> I haven't watched the like the newest reboot yet. There's like another new reboot, but it goes back to the original characters who were Oh wait, that's what I think I'm talking about. Oh no, I'm talking about the one that had the girl from Degrassi in it. And this was like in the like 2008 or so, 2009. Oh, no, I'm not thinking oh, of that Oh, it was on one. for like five years. It was great. Oh, I did not watch that. It, I was it, talking it, about the recent reboot. Oh, no, I haven't watched that one yet. That's funny. But is it funny? It's legitimately worth your time. It's hysterical. Really? Okay. Well, then I'll check that one out. Yeah, so, check it out. Yeah. The older reboot of it, which Lily Collins was in, was it was very in sync with the original sort of stories where it was very it it takes itself very seriously but it is absolutely ridiculous right yeah 
it's yeah. it's that. Yeah. That's Visco. where I knew her from. Yep. Yeah. And then Zach Efron is Ted Bundy. He's of course most famous for the high school musical movies, but he's adorable. This yeah. part of the confliction, isn't it? It is a major part of the confliction. <laughs> I think I, I think it was just a little much to cast him in this role. I <sighs> I understand they were trying to um, showcase the charm that Ted Bundy could bring to the table and why he was able to get so close to all these women. But I think most women would have been too uh, intimidated by Zac Efron to get that close to him. So um, I don't know. I think they overachieved. (laughs) I don't know. He really looked a lot like him. He did, but you know, I you know, I had to make a collage. I did, yes. Are I had to like share com- it. I, I will share this because I had to compare. So I have a picture of Zac Efron, and I have a picture of Ted Bundy, and then I have a picture of Zac Efron as Ted Bundy, and it's like there's there's Ted Bundy, and yeah, he's not altogether unattractive, and I could see that like when he's on his game, he could probably seem quite charming. Um, he definitely had a personality. Yeah. That and women, women are very attracted to the personality. So, and then and then there's a picture of Zac Efron. Need oh, I say more? God. And um, then there's a picture of them, to him playing he, him. And you know, quite frankly, it's like, well, uh, Zac Efron really elevates the whole Ted Bundy uh, thing. Yeah. And then of course we have Haley Joel Osment. You know, child star plays Jerry the coworker and eventually Liz's husband. Yes, he played a very kind individual in this, and he is yeah. just the perfect sort of charm for that. Yes. He's so sweet. Yeah, yes. And secure. But, um, and then we have uh, James Hetfield, the frontman of Metallica, was the arresting police officer, Bob Hayward. Aha! Yeah, did he look familiar and you couldn't quite ah, place him? Yes. I don't think he's in the IMDb. Because I kept looking at him going, I know you. Yeah. And that voice. Yes. Sounds so familiar. Yes. Ah. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and like watch that scene. Yeah. Just because I could. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Hey, ah. look. It's the guy from Metallica. Yeah. yeah. I, I love them. Uh-huh. I, me too. Oh, man. I loved them for a long time. Yeah. And I'm not like, well, I guess I used to be more into the heavier hard rock stuff. I, I, they're I've they're never... more, a little more crossover. It's when they crossed over. Like they're yeah. they're an earlier, like more actual metal. Mm-hmm. A little less so for me. I don't dislike it. I just don't choose to listen to it a lot. If it's on, it's playing. I'm I'm like, yeah, it's good. You know, when they hit their crossover, I really enter Sandman. I still oh, yeah. Like it comes on the radio. I'm an Unforgiven diehard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Unforgiven Two. I think is my favorite. Okay, before I forget, what. We're still accepting <gasps> yes, we submissions are. for your hometown crime story. Our, your Christmas is going to be super fun with hometown crime stories. We've already gotten a few in. We would love more. Please send them in. You can send them to us on Facebook. You can find us at Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. You can send us a direct message there. You can go to Twitter at Killer Fun Pod, send us a direct message there, or you can send us an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. So don't just send me a link, send me a little paragraph about what you 
remember. If it's something that happened to you, that's awesome. If it's just a really cool story that you want to share, send me a paragraph about it, or you can send me a voicemail and we'll totally feature your voice. Absolutely. Yes. So send in your stories. Send it in. We want it. Give yourself something else to talk about with your family on Thanksgiving. You don't want to talk about politics. Ask them about crime instead. I like What's it. that weird thing that happened? Yeah. You don't want to talk about politics. No. No. Think of something else to talk about. Yeah. Killer fun. Yes, absolutely. And we have a little real life hometown crime story-ish that's related to this movie at the end of this podcast. So listen to that little San Antonio flavor here. So are we ready to recap? I think we're ready to recap, but there's there's two more people we have to mention oh, in this movie. Oh, please do. Jim Parsons. Oh, yes. Can you can you see him yeah. oh, and not think Sheldon? I thought he did a great job breaking out of that role. He did such a good job. I mean, job. I definitely saw him and thought Sheldon, but it's really still soon. Well, it's soon. You, yeah. But you see him and you think Sheldon, and then from Big Bang Theory, and he opens his mouth and starts talking, and it's nope. gone. It's gone. It's I just, gone. He is a smart attorney. Yeah, really super excited about his role in here. Yeah. Um, and then John Malkovich, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, always a delight. Being John Malkovich is one of my favorite movies and ever. I still it's haven't seen so it. so weird. I still haven't seen it. Oh. I gotta see it. Maybe we should watch it for the podcast at some point. Ooh, maybe we should. I think we should. I, I think but we need I to. Think, I think we can do crime. I think there's enough crime or crime adjacent stuff mm-hmm. that we can totally talk about that. Okay. Yeah, because... And then you'll have no excuse not and to watch it. No excuse. I have it's, to watch it. It's so weird. I love I'm him. just going to tell you it's so weird, but it's so good. Every time he's on screen, though. I'm oh like, my yay! Gosh. I'm like a kid on a mailbox at a parade. <laughs> yay! You know? Like, it's just exciting. Yeah. So he did great. I, I really enjoyed it. So, all right. All right. Awesome. Okay. So, it starts off based on a true story. Based is a key word here. remember that we'll get there and it starts with a quote few people have the imagination for reality johann wolfgang von goth then it switches between liz kendall played by lily collins and ted bundy played by zach efron talking in prison and the night that they met at a bar so it goes back and forth. They do that several times in this movie, and it always makes for really good filmmaking, I think. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It tells the story rapidly, but concisely and interestingly, it's really good. It also really respects the fact that we all understand this story already. Yes. And so we're not waiting for some ending, a cliffhanger, some resolution. And so it really respects that of the viewer, which I think makes the experience better. Re- agreed. Ted drives her home. She is touched by the fact that he does not mind that she is a single mother. That's kind of nice. And from the very first, Ted slips into a gentle lover and caring father role. We see sweet home videos of him interacting with their daughter, with her daughter. And over those home videos is a voiceover talking about murders in the area. I thought that was a nice little bit of filmmaking right there too. Utah, 1975. Ted uh, runs a couple of stop signs and he's in Utah for law school, and he tries to smooth talk his way out of it with a police officer, uh, but he has some suspicious things in his car, so he is arrested. And when he finally is returns home to Seattle, where they lived, Liz is extremely angry at him. She's very, very mad. 
Ted was identified in the lineup and he claims that he's being framed, that the police had shown the victim his photograph several times prior to the lineup and that's why she identified him. So Ted goes to the law library because he was a law student. So he wants to try and help with his own defense, which seems okay. Law student seems that he'd have an interest in that and maybe some talent for it. He gets kicked out of the law library because somebody recognizes him. They ask him to leave because the young women who are there late at night studying don't feel safe. Ted goes home, reads under the covers, and ends up proposing to Liz. So, oh, it seems very sweet. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. While Ted's on trial for this assault that happened in Utah that he was arrested for, he and Liz look into getting a dog, and they run into Ted's friend Carol Ann at the shelter. Dog that Liz likes the best absolutely hates Ted. Ted's found guilty at the trial, which Liz is there for the entire thing, and he ends up going to jail in Utah. Ted's implicated in a crime in Colorado, the murder of Karen Campbell in Aspen, and they're seeking the death penalty, and they believe it to be Ted. Liz's friend, Joe, is really concerned about her. Joanne is really, really concerned, and she's worried that Ted actually does have something to do with it. Liz is unconvinced. She believes Ted when he tells her that he's being framed. Ted is co-counsel at his trial in Colorado, and Liz has opted not to travel to Colorado to support him in this one. She's pulling away a little bit from him. There's troubling things. She believes him. Maybe not. But she has some hesitation. Yeah, she has some. We'll, we'll learn more about that in a little while. So he gets some privileges as co-counsel. He's not in chains. He gets to access the law library. He can make phone calls. And so he's calling her at work. And she says, I, I have a headache. And she hangs up on him. And he calls her back and then starts telling her all about this book that he read, Papillion, that gave him such hope and he's just he loves it and it's so great he begs her to come to the trial and she hangs up on him again and starts avoiding all of his phone calls during a recess the court guard is busy he's flirting with somebody from the gallery there at the trial and ted goes into the room where the telephone is he pretends to make a phone call and then he ends up jumping out the window He's been preparing for this. We've seen this. He's in prison. He would sit on the top bunk and jump off over and over and over again. He was preparing to jump out the window. He was trying to prepare. I'm really not sure that jumping off the top bunk is going to prepare you for like a two-story drop, but I appreciate the effort. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, anything you do is going to help you. Anything you do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Ted, Ted was on the lamb for six days. Yeah. Yeah. I, in the mountains too. Yeah. Well, but he said he was an avid skier, he, so he was not unfamiliar with the mountains. Was a, well, he definitely wasn't unfamiliar with those mountains. <laughs> he you know. definitely was not. And he was quite, uh, just the outdoorsman in general, pretty handy, just mm-hmm. smart. Yeah. Liz does end up going to see Ted in the Colorado prison. He gives her a copy of Papillion, but she tells him, I I can't do this anymore. He told her, running was foolish, but you weren't answering my calls. Talk about some gaslighting. 
she it's not her fault that he escaped jail. That's right. That's right. But he's trying to tell her that it is. But then what's interesting is she leaves and he breaks down. Yeah. Uh, Liz becomes really friendly with her coworker, Jerry. It's kind of a little normalcy in her life that's pretty abnormal at this point. Ted once again escapes prison. Who are these? I'm... They just underestimate him. I, th- I really think so. I really think so. Detective Fisher from Colorado implores Liz not to help Ted. And she's like, why'd you have to come all the way to my house to tell me this? Can you just make a phone call? And she really is trying to maintain that Ted's being framed and he's innocent. And he gives her an envelope through the door. She doesn't open it right away. Which I don't know how she did. How'd she not open it? Yeah. I don't know. She knew something awful was in there. Exactly why you open it. (laughs) I don't... Yeah. I. I, Me and her, just two different people. Okay. Just... (laughs) (laughs) So after Ted escapes for the second time from the Colorado prison... Well, actually, he escaped from prison once. He escaped from court once. That's true. This is... To be fair. Yeah. To be fair. Ted heads to Florida... And kills a couple of sorority girls and hurts some other people. Ted gets arrested and he tries to call Liz and maintain his innocence. And she's just really not buying it anymore. She's done. She refuses to take Ted's calls. So he gets in touch with Carol Ann. You know, six of one, half dozen of the other, I guess. This one will take my calls and that one won't. I can't blame him for that. No, I I can't either. But I can blame Carol Ann a little bit for... Maybe being just a little too trusting. Just a little bit. (laughs) Jackie's face is like, that may have been more than a little bit. Well, yeah. And maybe she didn't trust him as much as she was infatuated in like all the other girls. Mm -hmm. That's fair. That's fair. She just happened to have the connection. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe she thought he was hot. (laughs) I'm sure she did. Anyway, Ted has his teeth photographed in prison, and then Ted meets his counsel, and this is going to be the first televised trial in history. There is an option for Ted to take a plea for life in prison, but he is maintaining his innocence. Carol Ann confesses her love and talks to the press on Ted's behalf after working out exactly what she needed to say with him. And then the trial starts in 1979, and the judge, played by John Malkovich, he's kind of humorous, and I was, I found it, these were all based on his real, the real things that he said in court. And was, and nobody could have said it better than John Malkovich. <sighs> Plus he your just heart. has that particular Southern thing going he's on. He's got the ability to, to do it, yes. He just does. Yeah. The way he says partner and bless your heart and all uh, that stuff. It just, wow, rolls off the tongue like I've heard it my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of young women interviewed by the press, and they call Ted dreamy and clamor for seats at his trial. Ted, quote unquote, plays attorney, and the judge seems amused by this. A little annoyed, but more amused. And a little impressed, too, maybe. Maybe a little impressed. Yeah. Liz is watching all of this on television. The attorneys, Ted's mom, Carol Ann, they all beg Ted to take a plea deal because they can see the writing on the wall. He's going to 
get the death penalty for this. He's going to be found guilty. Ted asks the judge for new counsel because they're coercing him to take a plea. And he takes over as his own lead counsel. That's a bad idea. By the by. Forensic ontologist Dr. Suvan testifies that it was Ted's unique teeth that left bite marks on his victim. And his testimony is declared admissible in the court. Ted continually tries to call Liz and Carol Ann's paying the guards to look the other way while they have intimate relations in prison. Carol Ann testifies that Ted's tooth wasn't chipped when the murders were committed, that it happened while he was in prison. It couldn't be his teeth. They're trying to discredit the ontologist's testimony that it doesn't happen. When Ted, then Ted marries Carol Ann on the stand. By a quirk of Florida law, he declares them married and it's legal. Yeah, that yeah. was a Ivy. That's somebody. That that's a, a, that's some uh, TMZ time move right there. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, I have a lot of time to spend at the law library. Well, it's in prison. true, and it's such a stunt. I mean, it's just that's going viral before social media. Yeah, you know, like yeah. he just needed a redirection. Yep, Liz is feeling really guilty about things and. Larry really wants to know why. And it turns out that Liz gave Ted's name to the police after the sketch ran in the newspaper and it looked like him and the car matched the description. Larry assures her that she did the right thing. Turning him in was the right thing to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you kind of see where she was so attached to the, to the process that he was in because initially when she felt like maybe Maybe he was getting pulled in unfairly. Yeah. Then she's thinking, oh my gosh, I started this because they would have never pulled him over. And uh, we see a scene where the detective on the phone tells her that's the wrong color. Yeah. That's not the car we're looking for. And she's relieved. But then so that guilt, the, when they pull him over and then they start the whole process, just, you know, I could see how she... Right. You know, if that's a true part of her story. But in the in the film, I could totally resonate why she was so invested in maybe his innocence over it. Mm-hmm. Because from that perspective, it did look contrived. But yeah. also, it looks like she was right. Yeah. And it's almost easier to think you're wrong than it is sometimes to think yeah, you're right. That, yeah. Well, then to believe you could love a murderer, mm-hmm. for sure. It takes just seven hours of deliberation for the jury to return a verdict. Carol Ann tells Ted that she's pregnant. And immediately after, Ted is found guilty. Ted's mother begs for her son's life, but the judge sentences him to the electric chair. And the title of the movie comes from the judge's remark while he's handing down the sentence. Uh, Liz ends up throwing out her alcohol. And 10 years later, Ted is about to complete his stay on death row. And Liz has gotten her life together. She's got a job. She's married. Well, she had a job before, but she's been promoted at her job. She's gotten her life together. She goes to see Ted. And this is where the movie started. And Ted's still trying to maintain his innocence with Liz when she first gets there. And she confesses to him that she gave his name to police. And... She's really, really angry that she ever left Ted alone with her daughter because one of his victims, Kimberly Leach, was just 12 years old when he murdered her. Liz opens the envelope that the Colorado detective gave her earlier, and 
It contains a photograph of a decapitated body and Liz wants to know where the head is. And he confesses to her in the scene that he did kill her by writing hacksaw on the glass in between them. Creepiest Ugh. scene oh. in the whole movie. Yes. And also, how many times did he have to try to write that backwards to get it right? Oh, but I'm sure. I was, <laughs> I, I, it was so creepy. Cause you know, she's yelling at him. Where is the head? How did you do it? And then, you know, her confession about I'm the one who gave the name. You can see the whole demeanor change. And then, so she says, how did you do it? And he just ever so calmly starts writing the thing slowly. And it's so creepy. Yeah. And then the look on his face and the look of, of like her horror and like his complete lack of affect. And then I'm looking at this word hot hacksaw and I'm going, how did he do that? <laughs> did it pull you out of the moment? Oh, immediately. Bit? I was like, I don't, I don't think I could do that so cleanly. Like, I'm in my he head. To- I'm thinking... Where? Okay, wait. I would start over here. <laughs> like, I uh-huh. just, yeah, because he had to write it backwards. He had to write it backwards. Well, and he wrote the W backwards. So H, A, and W, which are four of the seven letters, mm-hmm. those could be the same either way. But I thought he wrote it lowercase. No. Okay, wrote, that it was, was uppercase for it H. It was uppercase. And okay. the A and the W. Yeah, that's true. Okay. The A's and so okay, so I think maybe it was it's not all, so bad. Yeah, I'd have screwed up the but S. Still, so. <laughs> yeah, it'd be backwards. It looked like a kindergartner wrote it. It looked like the horror movie <laughs> version of like Toys R Us, Red Rum. <laughs> yeah, really, legitimately. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than my being pulled out of it because I'm a dork, it was a <laughs> fabulous scene. It was very good. Ted was executed January 24th, 1989, and he, he did confess to 30 murders. Experts believe that the number of people he actually kills is much higher than that. Liz and her daughter live in Washington, and Liz has been sober for decades. Carol Ann gave birth to Ted's daughter, and then they show us a list of the victims. The credits show some of the actual footage from the trial that was broadcast Mm -hmm. which is still so weird to me so some reviews some reviews most of the reviews had similar thoughts that it was well made it was an interesting idea it missed the mark yeah (laughs) okay so Jeanette Kasulis for wrote for the New York Times All this makes for a very odd picture one that purports to care about the women that Bundy duped while simultaneously marveling at their gullibility. Efron's smooth, manipulative performance makes a mockery of their devotion, so much so that at times the movie appears less about the psychology of a specific sociopath than a general comment on women who shield such men and even hanker after them. Agreed. Yeah, super fair. All right, there's a few of these, because I couldn't pick just one. (laughs) AV Film Club by A.A. Dowd. The intent is to present this human monster not from the certain hindsight of infamy, but from something like the vantage of those just learning what he may have done. Dramatically speaking, it's a failed thought experiment. You get it watching it, why no one has really told this kind of story this way. But it's still hard not to admire the film's perversely unperverse strategy. It's a good faith attempt to do something more than trot out the awful salacious details, which I really appreciated. Agreed. (laughs) I don't, 
I don't really want to watch the murders. No. Do you remember that movie Monster uh, about the serial killer, a woman serial killer? Yeah, and it starred Charlize Theron, and she was... And Christina Ricci. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but that one, it was so good, but it was like super hard to watch because it was pretty graphic. Then we have the Washington Post review by Sonia Rao. Extremely Wicked doesn't glorify Bundy exactly, but it makes little effort to do the opposite. And I was like, that's all so fair. It didn't, it didn't glorify him, but it didn't try very hard not to glorify him. Yeah. I think that's why this movie just settles awkwardly a little bit. Yeah. You know, I because agree. they're not wrong. No. None of them are wrong. Not at all. And this one was probably the one that most succinctly exemplifies how I understand this movie to have really missed the mark. Because what it was really supposed to be was from Liz's point of view. Right. That's true. That was what it kind of... And it didn't... It missed. Mm. So... Uh, Alyssa Wilkinson wrote for Vox. Extremely Wicked doesn't find Liz very interesting. She disappears for whole sections of the film. At one point, she tells a friend that when he isn't with her, she feels like she's nothing. And it sure seems as though Extremely Wicked agrees. In truth, I think we'd be fine as a culture if we never made another movie about Ted Bundy. Mm. <laughs> you, you seem like, no, I still want some Ted Bundy movies. I don't know. I think the general... No, I think she's right. I don't think a general public, general release sort of movie is, is due. Yeah. Do I think certain people ought to keep looking at it, studying it, watching it? Should it be taught? You know, should there still at different stages of history kind of look back at it, see what yeah. we know now and see how we see it? Yeah, I do. But but I think it did miss the mark. I Her point about the fact that we do sort of reduce Liz in this movie when it's supposed to be her point of view. But I I think the whole movie is still shot from her point of view with that air of innocence. Uh, Yeah, sort of. Because if you didn't know the end, yeah, you could see the frame up. Yeah. You could see how he wasn't acting like a guilty man in a lot of ways. You could see a lot of that come to life. The problem with my Uh problem that I see with it is that, I don't think it's an authentic representation of even maybe the way she saw him. Fair. I think well, it, I think her point of view was glorified, oh. even if he wasn't. Oh, that's fair. We mm. didn't see her wrestling, her oscillation between trust. I'm going to stand by him no matter what, because that's the commitment I've made. He's an evil, shockingly vile person. I will run the other way. Yeah. We don't see that oscillation. Right. We don't see the struggle. We, 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 she's reduced to an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, who's sat on a couch. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's just naive. No, there was deep things going on in her. There was a wrestling because you can't, if, if what they presented about him is somewhat true, even somewhat true, what she experienced at home was completely different than the reality at hand. That is a hard place to be. Right. I can see how they may have said, well, it was just too sad to show her sad on a couch watching television because that doesn't make for great filmmaking. But 
that wasn't her experience of it, really. Thank you. I mean, I mean, it, her experience was at work. What did she experience with random people who figure out who she was? What yeah. did she experience with the news media? What did her experience with her daughter? And them asking about really dad. Yeah. What happened there in those exchanges at home? Yeah. Um, I think the problem is they didn't want to have a dialogue heavy kind of film. They wanted something that was a little bit more visual. And what's well, more visual than Zac Efron? Yeah. So, well, and Zac Efron jumping out of a second floor window and making a exciting prison escape. I mean, those are exciting things to see in a movie, but I wished for something different from this movie. Right. I mean, so <laughs> the Rotten Tomatoes has this quote, the critical consensus on it reads, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile often transcends its narrative limitations through sheer force of Zac Efron's compulsively watchable performance. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. All right. Well, we're going to find out what's true, what this movie got right, and what it did not get right, right after this quick break. Welcome, travelers, to the mundane and the arcane, a 5e D&D podcast. I'm Matt, the Dungeon Master, for our new campaign. Uh, I'm Deacon Bishop, and uh, I like to party. I'm Grognag Vegan Smith, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm Zenko, and I cast Guiding Light. Come join our party as they explore the river town of Tristolin, fight threats like magical crabs, and rob stores such as bards and nobles. We release bi-weekly. Now everyone, I'd like you to roll initiative. And we're back! So, is it true? What did the movie get right, and what did it not get right, factually speaking? We've already determined that they didn't quite get the movie-making schema across quite right because they didn't focus enough on Liz. It was too much about 10. Right. Yeah. Agreed. When you have Zac Efron, I can see how it would be easy to focus on him. Yeah. Yeah. But factually, so USA Today had an article written by Brian Alexander. It tells us that the movie is based on a book by Elizabeth Klopfer, though she wrote it as Elizabeth Kendall as she's referred to in the movie. Klopfer only came out because a friend of hers accidentally talked to the press and said her name and gave the same story that was in the book. Oops. Yep. Oops. So the book is called The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy. So they kind of compared the book to the movie. Ted Bundy really jumped from a courthouse window to escape. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, and they covered that in the Ted Bundy tapes. Okay. Which is... Which I haven't seen. What was my husband was trying to tell me about uh-huh. when I <laughs> flat out figured that I didn't watch it, but I did. And he's right. The two scenes are are pretty identical, the way yeah. that they reenacted oh, really? it and the way okay. that Ted Bundy says it and talks about it and the way that oh. they portrayed it. Okay. That's very interesting. Was the trial really as much of a media circus as it was portrayed. Um, yes. A lot of the dialogue was for those scenes was condensed from actual court transcripts. The delivery of the death sentence by judge Edward D. Cowart, which was played by John Malkovich is exactly accurate where he called him extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile 
He also did have some nice things to say. You'd have been a good lawyer, and I would have loved to have had you practice law in front of me, but you went another way, partner. Those are direct quotes from the transcripts. And it explains how the uh, admiration was played through the movie. Uh There is this uh, sense of... You have so much potential. Gosh, I hope you're not really guilty. Yeah. If you if you win this trial and you're not guilty, that's really awesome. But you could also see that hesitancy of yeah. crap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. But yeah. <laughs> but no, we've watched the evidence and you're a very guilty man. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Ted Bundy really propose in court? Yes, he did, but it wasn't in the trial for the sorority girls. It wasn't until the 1980 Florida trial for Kimberly Leach that he actually proposed and then wed her. And how about the final confrontation with Liz? She didn't go and see him. It was a telephone call. Dadgummit. <laughs> so that Dad was... Dadgummit, I was so I'm, excited. I'm so happy. I'm so wanting that to be real. Nope. I'm sorry. It was... It was not. Bummer. Yeah. How about that quote, though? Few people have the imagination for reality by Goth. Uh, It turns out that's not actually the quote. What? How could they mess that up? (laughs) Criminal Minds does that like every stinking week they get a quote. Are you telling me that they messed up a quote on a movie? Well, sort of. It turns out that's not anything that Goth actually wrote. It was a paraphrase of a passage by Bernice Abbott, who was a photographer, and she was very into goat, and that was her paraphrasing of, and this is translated from the German. You'll see why she, tra- why she paraphrased it. Somehow it ended up as a direct quote, which is incorrect. The actual passage is, it takes a special turn of mind to grasp formless reality in its essential nature and to distinguish it from the figments of the imagination, which, all the same, thrust themselves urgently on our attention with a certain semblance of reality. I love that. It's great. That is so much more beautiful. Not that her paraphrase wasn't good. That's a great no, quote. Yes. Um, it, but that is... Yes. It's, it's so much more beautiful, so much more elegant, but a whole lot more difficult to put at the beginning of a movie but they should have just quoted her and said Uh and given her name because i mean i know that she was inspired by him but that's actually straight out of her mind it's a great quote i'm making my mm face yeah you are Mm. making your mm face and it makes sense it's a great quote from a photographer yeah super Uh. interesting but that quote uh, what about Papillion? Yeah, let's talk about Papillion. <laughs> We're only going to talk about it just just a little bit. So it was a book written by a French prisoner, Henri Chariard. And he said he was framed for the murder of another criminal, Roland Legrand. There's some contention about just how accurate this book is. And then Henri himself, after it was published said it really was only about 75% true. (laughs) Which is interesting because when we get that from an Esquire article written by Kate Story, 
Which makes sense that, you know, Ted Bundy would really be inspired by a story that's only partly true because Mm -hmm. most of the stories he told were completely false or only partly true. Right. So wait, wait, clarify. In the book, the person thinks he's being framed, but he he says he's being framed and he's really guilty. I don't think so. Okay, so he is an innocent man being framed. That is my understanding. Of that the he actual really, plot. Yeah, that, yes, that he really is innocent. He really is being framed. And there are prison escapes and all kinds of things. And I think some of those are where the okay, fabrication that's comes what, in. I thought that it was about an innocent man. But then all of a yes. sudden I was thinking, wait, is it about a guilty man? No, saying? Think, no, no, no. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's about an innocent man. Okay. Or a man who purports to be innocent. Maybe we don't find out in the book. I haven't read the book. I haven't read the book either. If I, if I were Bundy, I would have chosen Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, there you go. That's one of my favorite books, though. Yeah. So yeah. I'm biased. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, what about Liz? What, what about we, Liz? What about Liz? So is she, where is she today? Kate's story. Again, we just, she just told us about Papillion. Also in Esquire, another article. She didn't want to go to Sundance because she doesn't want to participate in the press. She'd like to remain as anonymous as she can. But um, here are some clarifying Ooh. things about the the movie, but also about things that happened that weren't covered. Okay. So, uh, she did meet Ted Bundy at a bar. The relationship did become very serious very quickly. They applied for a marriage license at one point, like February of 1970, they applied for a marriage license and then they had an argument and he tore it up. Oh. That she probably is. That's probably better. Probably better. Probably better. Ted Bundy was abusive to her. That's what I figured. (laughs) But not physically. That's what I figured. Yeah, emotionally (laughs) and verbally. He, He was not nice to her. I mean, he seemed charming, but he's... Really a narcissist at heart. He's not a good man. No. No. Uh, Elizabeth did indeed suspect Bundy was involved in the kidnappings in Seattle while they were dating. He drove a Volkswagen similar to the one reported to police. His name was also Ted. Evidently, they didn't really go into that in the movie, but in the did the police sketch that looked like Ted Bundy. They actually also said that he called himself Ted. She did find a plaster of Paris in one of his desk drawers. One of the things that he did convincingly was pretend to have a broken arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that people would think he was non-threatening. Yeah. And she also found a hatchet in his car at nice. one point. Yeah. She found a hatchet and he said, you know, he'd been cutting wood at his parents' place. But yeah, no. So she did indeed alert police. She actually did it twice. So they only made it look like it was once, but she did twice. On August 8th, 1974, she called the Seattle Police Department and told them that her boyfriend matched the description of the suspect. And they weren't supportive of her turning him in. They they told her she needed to come down. They kind of thought she was just a disgruntled girlfriend, that she was trying to get her boyfriend in trouble. So she never went down to talk to them about anything else. So two months later, after Ted moved to Utah and the kidnapping started happening there, she called the King County Police Department to report him again. And they told her that they'd already looked into Bundy and cleared him. 
Interesting. So, mm-hmm. so she wasn't the only person who gave Ted Bundy's name to the police. Yeah. There, there was more people than that. Even though she turned him in twice, she believed him when he told her that he didn't have anything to do with it. Hmm. That's, That's heartbreaking. A, yeah, but blinding. Love is blinding sometimes. And Ted Bundy did admit that he tried to kill Liz once. Ooh. <sighs> what? What? <laughs> How could they leave this How out? How could they leave that out? Well, because he's less charming looking. Yeah, when he tries to kill the girlfriend yeah. that he was with for seven years. Yeah. The one that he seemed like he was so perfect for her daughter, and they never showed him really as abusive to her either. Yeah, which is... Which they should have. Where I had issues with this, yeah. because a lot of that didn't add up. Yeah. So she did talk to him about this, and Bundy told Liz that he closed the damper so that the smoke couldn't go out the chimney from the fireplace and put a towel under the door so that the smoke wouldn't leave the room and then left the house. So he basically tried to suffocate her in her own home with her own fireplace, and she woke up coughing. And remembers that, but didn't remember that there was a towel under the door. So he did try and kill her, but not in such a wet way Mm -hmm. as he killed many of his other victims, which maybe talks a little bit about how he felt about her. Yeah. He didn't want to hack her to death, but she did sign off on this Netflix film. So they got her permission before they did it. Well, and she has a new expanded edition of her book the phantom prince okay um it's expanded and updated uh still elizabeth kendall is credited okay um and it's coming out january 7th 2020 interesting you can go ahead and pre-order on amazon Ooh, i had to look it up yeah but if you look for an original yeah they're difficult to find 175 dollars plus yeah but they are available um amazon has like a bunch used, but okay. they go from 175 all the way to like 480. So in other words, if you see one at the thrift store or at a garage sale, get it, pick it up, get it, pick it up. Even if it's $25, pick it up, pick it up, <laughs> pick, it, pick up. it up. Yep. So what about Carol Ann? Carol Ann. And this, you know, is it true real life section that we're in? What was their relationship really like? I definitely want to know. Yeah. Well, all that's interesting had an article by Marco Margretoff. Carol Ann Boone and Ted Bundy did meet at work, but there's some conflicting reports as to when their relationship started. Yeah, because the movie really did make it sound like they had a little fling-fling because Liz was super jealous when they ran into her. Yeah, well, the my interpretation of the way the movie portrayed it was that he knew her before he knew Liz. Right. And that they had been friendly, maybe more than friends, but that that had ended prior to him meeting Liz. And that is, that is definitely not at all the case. Really? They met like in 1974 at work. Oh, and okay. he, she, in the movie, they made it seem like she was kind of stalking Ted. She even said as much at one point, and I don't think that was that was a dramatic license that they took. Now, some accounts will say that Ted and Carolyn started dating while they were both with other people. Ted was definitely with Liz. Carolyn was with an ex-husband. 
Carol Ann disputes that. She says that they were definitely not in relationships with other people when they got together, though there's some indication that they might not have she might not have known that he was still with Liz, that Uh she was under the impression that they had broken up, you know? So it's it's kind of fuzzy. Carol Ann seemed to believe that he was not with Liz when they started dating. Okay. So it will be interesting because with the new book that Liz has coming out, you know, with the updated version, right? I we might get a little bit more details about that so timeline. Interesting. I'm much more inclined to read her personal account with updates. Me too. Rather than a history of his crimes. Right. You I want to know what it was like to be her. Yeah. But I also wonder what drew Carol Ann to him in such a way. No, we'll get to that. Probably. Oh, good. I'm and so glad. We'll probably get to that in our psychology part. Yes. <laughs> So Carol Ann gave Ted money when he was in prison and that helped fund his escape from the prison in Colorado when he actually escaped from the prison where he cut the right cut the vent, vent out. out man that's I mean I guess that's the way you improve prison security <laughs> You, you know, somebody's got to escape to help you find the holes. I suppose so. <laughs> I mean, so. literal and figurative, I guess. I suppose so. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was pretty easy for him to get out. He didn't have to pull like a Shawshank Redemption or something, you know? Like, yeah. that was like, cut a hole in some sheetrock? Yeah. yeah. Really? They just didn't expect him to look up, I guess. I, I don't know. know if you're in a... In a cell, you're probably looking around at stuff. I mean, so yeah, <laughs> I'd be looking around. She did talk to the press uh, in the ways that were indicated in the film, where she didn't really think that they had a case, and she really stood up for him. Um, and bribing the guards to have private time in prison was normal for this particular facility. I feel like it's more normal than we want to admit across many facilities. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because a lot of times the people who work there aren't particularly well paid. It's a dangerous situation if they can make a few extra dollars for something that seems pretty benign. Well, and also makes their prisoners happier yeah and more relaxed yeah you you did this thing for me i'm going to be more compliant when you're on duty right and they make a little money off of it i can totally see the temptation so ted bundy you know they got married in the courtroom uh by the quirk of florida law (laughs) though it was not during that the trial for the sorority girls it was actually for the trial for Kimberly Leach, which was post sorority girl stuff, he just screwed up the wording the first time. <laughs> he had to do it twice. <laughs> oh, what kind of weird law? Okay, Florida. Yes, you know. Okay, Florida. Okay, Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can find a lot of weird stuff in Florida. That's why Florida man is a thing. Mm-hmm. When my son is bored, that's one of his favorite things to do: is look up. Florida man in Google and find out what Florida man's been up to. I do the same thing. I I, I Google um, the date mm. and then I say in Florida, all kinds of random things come up. Oh, I don't think I want to know what awful things happened in Florida on my birthday. Well, it's not awful all the time. <laughs> oh. Sometimes it's just weird. <laughs> just, just just strange. Really, really silly oh. sort of like oh. what? What the what? You oh. know. Sometimes it's awful, but a lot of times it's, it's just, just laughable. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. 
in the movie, they made it seem like Carol Ann got pregnant during the sorority girl trial. They did. Was that yeah. not true? Uh, no. Oh. It was two years into his stint on death row before she gave birth to their daughter. So he'd been on death row for two years already. And of course, at the end of the sorority girls trial was just when he got his first two death sentences. So she couldn't have been pregnant then. Again, they took a little creative license. She actually had a child when she moved to Florida already. She had a son uh, when she moved to Florida to be with Ted. Oh. Oh. And then three years prior to his actual death is when she divorced him. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, she divorced him three years before his death and left the state of Florida with her two children and presumably did not see him prior to his execution and nobody knows where she is it's Why? believed she she changed her and her children's names to protect them Why do you wait till then I don't know I feel like that's that's just like getting tackled on the one yard line I mean you're so close you've made it this far what happened what, did she believe him innocent that whole time Maybe and then maybe didn't about three years before his death sentence was to be maybe, carried out. Or maybe she realized, oh, wait, he really did kill Kimberly. Or maybe he confessed. Maybe he confessed that he really did kill Kimberly Leach. Um, he, I know he confessed to about 30 murders. Right before his death sentence. Before his sentence. So I don't know how early prior to his actual hmm. sentence was committed or uh, committed that's not quite the right word (laughs) carried out (laughs) that he started confessing things so if he started confessing things maybe several years prior to his actual electric chair visit in hopes to get it commuted then if he started confessing things, that might have been the impetus. I have, you know, no basis for that whatsoever. Oh, but gosh, I could see that being I could see that being why she would do such a thing after holding down the fort for so long. Taking your other child to visit Ted Bundy in prison. Yeah, that's uh oh, no, not man. a decision I would make. No, no, no. But, you know, some people do. So let's talk about some of those <laughs> people who do that in our psychology break. So lots of people, mostly women, seem to really be attracted to risky partners, men for the women usually. And there's a term for that. It's called hybristophilia. It's arousal and fascination that are responsive to and contingent upon a partner being known to have committed an outrage. So lying, cheating, infidelity, crime like rape, murder, robbery. This is what's bringing about that whole, I'm going to write letters to prisoners. Yeah. And have a relationship and start a relationship with them uh-huh. as prisoners. It's such a weird sort of thing to me because I can't identify with that. And yet 
Sometimes when I think about this whole scenario, what I realize is that, well, women have had to have this for a very long time or none of us would have married men. <laughs> like, how did anybody make it out of the medieval ages without having a little bit of this? A, a little bit of hybristophilia. I mean, otherwise, there would, there would be, like, the race would have ended. Like, I don't know, like Yeah. Like, well, I mean, they wanted, you know, strong men who are willing to do whatever they needed to do to protect women. Mm -hmm. And I think this is maybe a modern perversion like of maybe that. It's, it's taking something that was sort of an evolutionary protection, as in because men were strong and overt for most of our history, and, and in order for a woman to continue to be feel safe yeah. or to feel loved and protected in that situation, knowing what they're capable of, that there was a little bit of this like, okay, well, the fact that I'm aroused by that is helpful. Otherwise I'd be disgusted. So right. fabulous, yeah. you know, and kind of, it, then it kind of came down to like more like a chivalry, you know, like for instance, we talk about, you know, men opening doors for women or something like that. And there's actually kind of an evolutionary thing to that. It's not just a custom that came out of nowhere. The idea is men know that in general, now I'm talking about general yeah. things, but in general, because they are stronger and bigger than women, they are a natural threat. To okay. women, right? So men are bigger and stronger than most women, and therefore it is a natural threat in the society, right? Okay. So men can do things of service to let the, the woman know that they're safe, that they okay. pose no threat. So those little mm. things that they do were kind of a, I am not a threat to you, I am putting myself aside, and I acknowledge my inherent threat to you by doing these sort of nice things that then we kind of grew up in the time of, you know, bringing flowers or opening car doors or whatever. All of those things are kind of the man saying, I recognize that I could, I could be kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same way like a big German shepherd comes up and then like wags his tail and puts his head down when he really could just kill you. Right. Yeah. Right. Like there's this kind of like a, I know, yeah. Like we get down on our knees to talk to a kid. Yeah. So they know that we're yeah, not threatening, we're not threatening them. them. Yeah. You're not towering over them. Mm -hmm. You're down on their level. And yeah. I'm, yeah. It's just that whole that thing. So I think you're right. I think maybe this little weird obsession with serial yeah. killers is kind of a perversion, an offshoot, or it's just weird. <laughs> it, it can be, it can be both. I wanted to say crazy. <laughs> <laughs> But see, now, I'm, now I've negated my entire like intention to not say it by telling you that. <laughs> okay, so you brought up an interesting point about Ted's behavior in the movie as opposed to his real life behavior. Yeah, this movie, it bothered me a little bit. How so? Tell well, me. okay, so they totally portrayed him as being successful in his relationship. <laughs> yeah, he was good at being a boyfriend. In he the was movie. a great boyfriend, yeah. Like, like he, he was good at that stuff. Like he was good all the way top to bottom, like very, um, I don't know, aware, emotionally aware, emotionally connected, very intentional about yeah. the relationship, Yeah, you know, um, but not in a creepy way, not in a creepy controlling way. Like he just, they set him up to look like he was really, really normal. And, yeah, and he I was really not. Don't think he was. I think he was no. much more of a psychopath than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was quite actually antisocial. They didn't portray any antisocial in this movie. Right. Well, I think that's 
difficult to make it seem like she is going to come out wrong. Make it seem like she's a victim if he looks antisocial. Mm-hmm. But she re- she really was a victim. But he really did verbally and emotionally abuse her, even if it was rare, I guess, since he did try and kill her once that he physically abused her. I feel like I feel like we yeah yeah. I, how do I? <laughs> it's okay. I already stuck my foot in my mouth this section, so go ahead. I feel like he we'll made up for it. the lost time by going all the way oh. to "I'm going to kill you." Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to hit hit on you for you. you know weeks, months, years on end. I'm right. just going to try and full on kill, kill you, you once. Like that's yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he was definitely, I mean, he had antisocial behavior. He did want to disrupt society. In fact, he loved his whole trial so much because it disrupted society. That's what he got to do. Antisocial behavior is not what people tend to think. We can use it casually to kind of indicate people who are more reclusive or, or introverts or just don't want to be social. But antisocial behavior actually means you're against social order. So you're always looking to just throw sand in the air and right. that's like super fun for you. And mundane, like Sand buying a puppy, not not antisocial. Right. But why? Why do the girls love Ted Bundy? Why do well, they love Ted Bundy? Dr. Catherine Ramsland had an article in Psychology Today where she kind of talked about some of this. She looked at research from social psychology and personality science. I guess those are periodicals. And they talk about how, you know, women are definitely bigger true crime fans and she kind of used that as her lens to kind of look at some of this stuff so she said that a lot of females will see like a little boy in the killers and they want to nurture it and they want to you know help them change and grow and be better and that some of them see men as these horrible men who've done terrible things as strong mm-hmm. or alpha male, very protective, very unique in some way that if they're able to be this cruel, maybe they can also love them that passionately, in, that passionately that they're intellectually, sexually, emotionally more. They're grander when that's really not the case. Not the case. <laughs> no. So Sheila Eisenberg wrote a book called Women Who Love Men Who Kill. She interviewed a lot of women who were in relationships with men who went to prison because they were murderers or ended up in relationships with people who were murderers and that almost all of them had suffered some form of abuse that that was like their common denominator. Now she didn't really study, she didn't do like a formal study. So it's difficult to make the correlations Mm -hmm. appropriately, but almost everybody that she talked to in the course of writing her book, that was their common theme. That is so interesting. Mm -hmm. And that the obstacles might make it more thrilling for people. Wow. Polly Nelson was one of Ted Bundy's defense attorneys She said that his insecurity that he seemed to portray made her feel kind of protective of him when she first met him, but she was really keeping an eye out on would she have fallen for it? You know, that's kind of the question you put yourself in the, am I going to fall for this guy? And 
She said he really devolved into a demanding narcissist while she worked with him. She was quoted as saying this, This dangerous man was not detectable by sight or sound. It was not because Ted exuded charm. He was too obviously disingenuous to be truly charming. It was not because Ted was such a diabolical genius that he could fool you. Believe me, he was not that smart. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Ramslin points out that this kind of devotion can have a real downside. Uh, For example, Beverly Bonner met a man named John Robinson, and she left her husband and went with Robinson after his release, and he murdered her for her alimony checks. Oh. And then she cites a couple other examples of people who probably shouldn't have gotten into relationships with criminals. That it doesn't always work out very well. That's so sad. I think... You know, we talk a lot about victimology, you know, when you look at investigation and, and well, this is why, because you do wonder like, how does he get away with this? Because, but it's because he chooses the right people. Yeah. As much as the women are selecting the men, the men are also selecting Mm -hmm. the women. I'll get to that too in a little bit. Punch, which I think is a magazine from Nigeria or a periodical from Nigeria, which it seems a little weird to be like hey, let's look at this article from Nigeria because all we hear about in America is be wary. But I think this Mm -hmm. article is actually kind of interesting. And there are ways to know if your spouse is a potential killer. Oh, oh, it's like a quiz in a magazine. Uh, Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's more like things to look for, but we can say yes or no. Okay, 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 okay. So destructive tendencies. Your spouse gets annoyed and he or she smashes or destroys things. Yes or no. If you say yes, it's an issue. It's an issue. Something to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, this isn't like a once it happened. No, no. Or when it was like legitimately like an awful, awful situation and somebody's like losing it. Yeah. This is like a a regular occurrence sort of thing. That's kind of what we're talking about, right? I would say with all of these things, you should... They, it should be a pattern. Pattern, not an instance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because everybody has the urge to throw the wine glass once mm-hmm. in a while. That doesn't mean that you're going to kill your spouse. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've wanted to throw the wine glass before. I don't want to hurt, murder my husband. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Pathological liar. If they're caught doing something wrong and they instantly come up with a lie every single time. It's never their fault because they came up with a lie. Problem. That's a problem. If they're aggressive, that's, I think that one's kind of self-explanatory. If they have an addiction to drugs, it makes them less predictable. Anything that makes your partner less predictable is something to keep an eye on. Right. Yeah. Psychopathy. So they might appear like really sweet and kind, but... They're pretty wicked, and if they you observe them having no empathy for your situation, mm-hmm. particularly you as a spouse, if they don't have empathy for you, I mean, obviously, you want them to have empathy for other people as well. But if they don't have empathy for you, you really need to keep an eye on them. Mm-hmm. That's something really important. A traumatic brain injury, oh. which I hadn't really thought of, but yeah. 
That's sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because you could end up in a situation due to something that's an accident or whatever. That you chose a great partner who got in a car accident or, you know, mm-hmm. something that's not, not their fault. And suddenly they're a different person that you need to be careful of. Yeah. A short temper, because most people are don't plan out murders. They, they, most people don't. The most yeah. murders are, you know, because somebody has a, a break mm-hmm. from reality. And if they're prone to these physical outbursts, then yeah, they could go you too far. Know, you should know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a track record of murder cases, that one also seems like oh, well, self explanatory. Well, that just seems like a little, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A little self explanatory, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, also obsession and jealousy. Mm. Yeah. So if they're, when they want to know absolutely everything that you're doing, that's can be an issue because they're, it's a controlling. I wonder if that's kind of part of why women do start to become infatuated with these types of men, because most of us are just dying for somebody to care about all the details and yeah. want to ask questions. You know, like we're, we're excited to find somebody who wants to know and listen and ask questions and be super involved. And so in the beginning, that might sound or feel super sweet. Yeah. Ends up being control. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a fine line. It can be a challenge to know which is the right way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they have a lack of remorse about hurting you or someone else. They know that they've hurt you. They know that they've hurt someone else. Maybe and they're they're not upset mm-hmm. about it, not bothered by it. Now it's different if it's like, well, I just don't care if I hurt that person's feelings on the internet. Though really you don't want somebody who's an internet troll. Right. Either. Yeah. But you know Yeah. Don't marry the trolls if you can help it. If you can help it. Curb their troll behavior if they were becoming one once you've been with them for a while. And that's that's what's weird is that you know you never are going to stay married to the same person. Well, that's because we true. all change. Yeah. You're never going to be married to the person you married. That's just how, how it works. We all change. And the question is, sometimes these things don't creep up till later, or what happens when things get dicey and weird, but it's because they've changed or more things have gotten more amplified. Yeah. I can imagine that's hard, but I feel like, I feel like the majority of people who are married to serial killers are because they sought them out in prison. Like, I just feel yeah, like that's well, the case. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mean, know that I'm right at all, but that's what it feels like. It does seem like that because mm-hmm. I know that if I were married to a serial killer, I wouldn't stay married to a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I've had, I've had friends who had abusive boyfriends though, you know, or even husbands, but I mean, you know, I don't feel like they were serial killers. No. Right. Like they weren't that kind of guy. Right. There's been a few. Yeah. I wondered about. Oh, yeah. About what kind of, what happened behind the scenes, so well, to speak. There's, there's a few people, boyfriends of friends back in, uh-huh. I would say high school, really. There is a particular one. I just wonder. I feel like there was a fork in the road, and it could be like, I'm I'm going to go on this oh. one, or I'm going to be a serial killer. I'm not really sure oh. which way. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I hope he took the road more traveled. Who knows? Because the road less traveled leads to the electric chair yes. in Florida. Definitely. Don't do it in Florida. <laughs> 
But yeah, no, I always, I always wondered about that. And that sounds horrible to say, but um, there's a reason I lost touch with those people. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah you haven't sought them well, out on the Facebook. Not the dude. Not yeah, the not dude. dude. Real life. Real life. So the forensic ontologist. Say that five times uh-huh. fast. <laughs> so we talked about forensic dentistry before we talked about how um, it's it can be suspect, and that uh, particularly in the '90s there were some issues with people doing forensic dentistry that had to do with bite marks. That was uh, erroneous science, and a man went to prison. I think we talked about that in the staircase. Yeah, we yeah. did. They do more than just like the bite mark stuff. Oh, yeah. So. In fact, that's probably the least of what they do. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Bite marks are a rare sort of part of their forensic science. Well, then what the heck else are they doing? <laughs> They're identifying human remains that can't be identified else. Okay. Well, that, okay. So yeah. like dental records. I didn't think about that, but yeah. yes. Okay. Okay. So they're doing dental records. They're identifying bodies in mass fatalities, like plane crashes and things. So if you're having a hard time distinguishing which body parts belong to other people, mm-hmm. to particular individuals that can help Okay, with the, the teeth can help. And again, that's kind of like dental record sort of thing. It might have to do with the bite marks, mm-hmm. but it's also estimate age of skeletal remains. Oh. They can look at the teeth and determine a person's age, how long those remains have been out in a field or in, mm-hmm. in the wild. They can understand the decomposition. They can help with that. And then they can testify in cases of dental malpractice. Oh. <laughs> yeah, which I hadn't really thought of, but... Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a victim of dental malpractice. Yes, you are. Maybe you I need a forensic ontologist. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all set. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I thought in the in the film they uh, did actually an interesting job. Ted Bundy seemed to actually blow some real holes in the guy's testimony, and I thought, well, that's that's really interesting. He really kind of did blow a hole in it. Yeah. Um, bec- and not with about the chip. The chip they kind of made a big deal about, but actually I was more interested in the other little part that they kind of started to talk about with, how, well, did you test it on this and did you test it on that? Yeah. And alive people are on alive cadavers. people are on cadavers. And so I thought, oh, those are actually legitimate questions. You know? Right. Which I can see. I mean, I would say bite marks should definitely not be the crux of your case. They should be supporting evidence, not the only evidence. Yeah. They did, in fact, have to surprise Ted Bundy with their visit to get his teeth, Mm -hmm. but like photographs of his teeth and things, because they asked him to provide photographs and dental impressions and he refused. So they got a court order, but they had to surprise him because they were worried he was going to grind his teeth down so that they wouldn't match anymore. Ooh, I was like, Ooh, Ooh that wouldn't have even occurred to me. Ooh. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Interesting. Now, if you insist upon dating a prisoner, <laughs> If you insist. If you insist. A man by the name of Matthew Walker 
He's a contributing writer to Prison Writers. And this is a educational endeavor to help people build their skills while they're in prison. Okay. Which I'm like, all for that. Very interesting. He wrote a tips to dating a prisoner. Oh. And I thought it was actually, it's a really good article. (laughs) Well, let's hear about it because that's a... It was really good. He said, have you asked yourself why a convict? (laughs) (laughs) That's astute for a prison writer, I thought. Yes. Really good. He's, you know, ask yourself, are you having... No luck in society. Do you want a situation that justifies things going more slowly? Maybe examine why you want to date a prisoner in the first place to make sure this is really something you want to do. Smart. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Ask when they're getting out. Uh Okay. That seems normal, Mm -hmm. but he has some interesting thoughts about this too. I would personally suggest meeting someone with a little bit of time left, giving yourself a minimum of three or more months to get to know this person. It's like, that's super smart. Why so long? Because it isn't a normal situation. You can find a jewel anywhere, anywhere at all. But just like when you're at a garage sale, be careful. There's a reason for discounted prices. Mm -hmm. I was like... This is quite good. Yeah. yeah. Reminds me of Golden Girls episode. <laughs> oh, of course it does. Tell us about the Golden Girls episode <laughs> before I give you any more tips on dating prisoners. So Blanche was part of this program where you write to prisoners. And of course, her letters were explicit. And um, so she gets one back and it's like uber explicit, you know, and the girls are all like, Blanche, this is just, a oh, uh-huh. he's a prisoner. You know, they're all upset about it. And she's like, whatever. He's got, you know, a lifetime left. He's never getting out. I just want to bring him a little joy, you know, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Well, then his sentence gets turned over on a technicality. <gasps> oh, no! And the last letter that he had sent that they all, all opened and read was all flowery and laying on a hammock and whatever and fire of my loins and all very funny stuff. But then they never finished reading the letter. And so Blanche picks up the letter later and goes, oh my gosh, I never finished reading this. And that's when she reads the part about his sentence is going to be commuted. I'll be out next week. I can't wait to see you. Oh, no! Well, oops. Yeah. And so the whole rest of the episode is like him showing up at the house and tying up Ma. And oh, it was really funny. It wasn't the finale, was it? No. Okay, good. (laughs) So they didn't get murdered. No, 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 no. Okay, good. No, no. But that is is not how I remember Golden Girls ending. (laughs) And it's so funny because, like, this guy is such a stereotypical prisoner. And, you know, Zorthy opens the door and he goes, I want Blanche. (laughs) (laughs) But that is the episode where we also find out that uh, Dorothy's high school nickname, like his, was Moose. Oh, oh, poor Dorothy. (laughs) (laughs) Good times, good times. Nobody was calling her Moose kindly. No, no. No. All right, so he continues, have they been to segregation, which is like, we'd call that solitary confinement. Gotcha. And he said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I mean, it's not great, Mm -hmm. but they're extenuating circumstances for all kinds of things, he said. But you should be very careful if they've been to segregation and it's never their fault. Uh. You know, if they say, I picked a fight, I ended up in solitary and I shouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. No, this other guy, he was badgering me and I ended up in solitary and it's all his fault. 
that that's that's something, a problem. That's something to keep an eye on. And who else is on their visiting list? Oh, he said, you know, you want to make sure that they've still got like family ties intact. Do they have family coming to see them? How often? That makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Do they have a lot of women on there? Yeah, right. If they have a lot of women, they might be your competition, so to speak. And you want to know that. You want to know how serious they are. If they don't have a lot of women friends who are coming to see them, then, you know, maybe they are just seeing you. Yeah. But if they have a lot of women friends and they're coming frequently to see them, you want to know that. Yeah. Before you get too attached. Maybe not. There is a really cool thing, mm-hmm. and you would you would know a little bit about it, but Church Behind Bars, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole, like, movement. There's a church that plants churches inside prisons, and there's one in our local area, and um, that's really cool. Like, so I would add to that list, you know, like, are they involved with certain yeah. programs, yeah. not necessarily Church Behind Bars, although that's a really cool thing that they do. Right. Um, because that church that's inside the prison is then connected to the church that's outside the prison, so that when they are released, then they have a church already. And then they just go to the other congregation. Yeah, They have a community. Um, They already have a community, which is great. You know, but like this guy is involved with this prison writers or like, I would say, are they involved with some sort of other program where, yeah, something that's going to help them either to have a job or a support system Mm -hmm. when they get out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's something I would add to the list. Yeah. I, I agree. Such an odd list to talk about. Yeah, well, you know, I found it, and he... It's great, though. He did a good job writing it. He did a great job writing it. We should talk about that. Before we leave the real-life section, there was a real... There was a very brave woman in San Antonio, right here in San Antonio, where we are, and she shared her story about inadvertently dating a murderer. Ooh. So she went on... Her name is Cindy Trevino, and she shared her story on a live storytelling event created by Texas Public Radio called Worth Repeating. So they have uh, like an event and you stand up and tell your story and you have like seven minutes or something, seven or eight minutes to tell it. And they collect a bunch of stories and then it's like a monthly program on Texas Public Radio. So she met this guy online. He was kind of unusual, but she was like, eh, I'm a little unusual too. It's okay. And he's really sweet to me. So they're dating and then he broke up with her really unexpectedly and it broke her heart. And several months later, he calls her late at night, all sad and depressed. And he asks her to Google a specific phrase and an article comes up about a man who stabbed a woman 15 times. And he tells her, I did that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I was in self-defense. And she was like 15 times in self-defense? I don't think so. Mm-mm. So she didn't want anything to do with him. And he hated that she didn't want anything to do with him. He started harassing her online, like, oh, bad stuff, Craigslist stuff. And, you know, really, she had to move. She lost her job. Oh, my gosh. She, when she finally did move and get a new job, it stopped. And she was so glad it mostly stopped. He like right before she did this, shared this Uh story, he had, I guess, gotten in touch with her again. Ah. So 
But I asked her if I could talk about this a little bit, and she said yes, that that was fine, that she was okay with that, and I guess she's not particularly worried. Well, it's a little like fighting fire with fire. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, here he here he is. This is yep, my story. This is him. This is him. Mm-hmm. And now her, her sister always wants a bunch of information before she goes on a first date with anybody. And oh, I'm like, yeah, good job, sister. Good job, she sis. wants what's um the what's his name? What's the make and model of his car? What's his phone number? Where does he work? She, her sister wants all this stuff because yeah. she doesn't want her involved with anybody else. Right. Like that. Yeah. And like, I'm like, that's like Facebook you know. stalk it, yeah. turn on the safety app. Yeah. Like <laughs> the yeah. whole thing, right? I'm good. You know, I'm yeah. totally cool with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but she's okay being alone. Oh, she said, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't need to be with somebody. So well, it's good. fine. And I'm she like, she sounds good like for a very her. healthy yeah. individual. So, and I will share the whole, a link to the whole. Oh, good. Um, on our social media, you can find us on Facebook. Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. Twitter, Killer Fun Pod, or you can send me an email and I'll shoot that link right back to you. Killer Fun Podcast at gmail.com. So, awesome. Yep. So, Can't wait to listen to that. Yeah, it's it's great. Because I love, good I job listen to talking. NPR a lot. You yeah, know, I do too. And so there's a bunch of text public radio shows I like, yeah. nerdy ones like Science Friday. And- <laughs> I love Science Friday. I love it. So next time. We're going to watch the first couple episodes of The Following, starring Kevin Bacon. It's on Amazon Prime, so if you need to find your way to watch it, there it is. It's an FBI agent is tracking a serial killer. So right up our alley. Super good. You're going to enjoy it. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. We're going to start our six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yay. (laughs) Oh, love that guy. Yep. For sure. So thank you so much for listening. We know we don't just come on the radio, that you make a choice when you listen to us. And we so appreciate it. Please tell a friend because it's way more fun to listen when you can talk about it with a friend afterwards. So do that. Rate, review, and, uh, you know, give us our crazy count. Crazy count. (laughs) We just added to it. We just added added a couple to it. Don't forget those. And uh, we'll send you a little prize if you send us... The right number. Yeah, the right number. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Forge Audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.